0: Good morning. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church and welcome. Thank you for choosing to worship with us today and thank those of you from Grace who have been praying for me. I have been quite sick and am not fully recovered. I still feel pretty weak. I asked one of the elders, I told him that the notes are written out, so if I were to just go to sleep... Could he take over? He said, surely we'll be asleep before you are. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that kind of support, old oh, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love it. Well, we have spent, if you're brand new to Grace Community Church, we have spent this entire year talking about family, about church life, a place in the family. It's good to belong someplace, isn't it? It's good to be connected with brothers and sisters in Christ and it is increasingly good not to feel alone with your Christian beliefs and values. It's likely that believers are going to feel more and more ostracized from the world's world and its values, but hopefully we will at the same time feel closer to the Lord and closer to God's covenant community, to the family of God in Christ. This morning, our text will take us both individually and collectively into close personal communion with the Father. Sometimes you just want to feel close to your Father. Psalm 138 was written by King David, who knew a thing or two about feeling out of step with the government. And in many cases, people said, you know what, David, you're on the wrong side of history. Well, they didn't say it like that, actually, but it's exactly what they meant. David put his hope squarely in the heart and hands of his father, Yahweh. Well, I intended to preach this last week, but unable to be here. Thank you, Ricky, for knocking it out of the park. I hear really great job, Ricky, uh, last Sunday morning. And um, so I've spent two weeks considering how to structure this message. A lot of different ways that you could go, but I concluded it best that we simply just just take it as we encounter it, verse by verse. A lot of psalms are that way. You just want to sort of <coughs> work your way through it and 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 sense where the Lord is leading the writer. It's not that this is a stream of consciousness by David moving randomly from one thought to another. I mean, there's structure embedded in the Hebrew. If we took time to say, well, here's the way the language works, there is a great deal of structure here. There always is in Scripture, always purpose in Scripture. But there's also just a beautiful flow in David's heart and mind that I'm pretty sure it will appeal to your heart and mind as we work our way through this psalm. So we're going to read, begin by reading all eight verses of Psalm 138, then we will take it verse by verse. Would you please stand for the reading of Scripture? I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Just let this psalm wash over you as we read it. I give you thanks, O Lord. With my whole heart, before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased And your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray. Our Father, we are a needy people. Even if we're not aware of it at the moment, we are always a needy people. And so often in your goodness, you allow us to see the depth of our need. That we might turn to the only place that will create meaning and purpose in our lives. And that will... Lord... uh, Draw us to the person who loves us and created us and desires communion with us to you. Father, may we find in you this morning strength on the very day that we call. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. David begins this psalm with an expression of full, complete, 100% gratitude to the Lord. Everything in him, it reminds you of the beginning of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. With my whole heart, I give you thanks. Even though David's relationship with the Lord is personal, there's nothing private about it. He's saying, I want everyone to know that I belong to Yahweh. Even before the gods, David declares his commitment to praising Yahweh. Now, there's debate about who the gods are here. Are these false idols? Or are these supernatural beings, angels? Uh, you know, it's either way. David declares before the entire universe, I belong to the to the Lord. He wants everyone to know where his allegiance lies. Uh, years ago, I heard about a young man who went into the army and he was quite concerned about um, living as a Christian in such a hostile environment. So, one of his first leaves, he came home and, you know, one of his friends says, well, how's it going? I know you were concerned about it. He said, it's, it's great. He said, I've been in the, in the army six months and nobody knows I'm a Christian yet. I think he missed the point. You ever feel like our young friend? I mean, you've been in your neighborhood, and your job, in a particular civic organization, and. Nobody yet knows that you're a Christian. Being willing to state your allegiance to Jesus is going to be more and more costly. Two weeks ago, it felt like we were sliding into a rapidly sliding into a post Christian era. Not sure if you know how much everything changed with the Supreme Court decision. There is no question anymore. Where we stand in society. There's no doubt that believers are in the minority, and many who have felt what they considered and, and shameful that they have felt this way. Look, lots of times it's just the way the media portrays it, but it's a shame. Shame on us if anybody thinks of us as these Bible thumping Christians who don't care about people. All we care about is rules and regulations. Ones that we are inclined to obey, by the way. That's the way people tend to look at us. And those who have been on the wrong end of what they consider to be our way of living, now are in the the majority. They're in the strong position. And their eyes are being turned warily toward those who just won't shut up about Jesus. So what are we going to do? We are going to sing Jesus' praises before all other gods. But we're not going to do it with an arrogant, in-your-face kind of posture. Please get past this political kind of sense of, of trying to... Shout down your opponent. It, does, it never has worked. It's not going to. More about that in a few minutes in the proper flow of the text. Whenever you see God's name with all capital letters in the Old Testament, as you do several times in Psalm 138, the writer is calling God by the covenant name that he uses whenever he's talking about relationship with his people, Yahweh is that name there are through a series of grammatical connections that I'm not going to take the time to go into the New Testament writers identify Jesus as Yahweh although we know him as son why instead of the father so why would the New Testament writers call Jesus Yahweh if he's the son instead of the father because the son is still God That's the point that they're making. Jesus is God. And you can only be related to God the Father through Jesus. It is no big deal if you speak about God in this post-Christian era, whomever you may think he or she is. But when you say that Jesus is the only way that a person has to believe in Jesus or he cannot be rightly related to God, you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. When you start talking like that, that's crazy talk in the eyes of the world. It's been hitting this way, so it's not like we woke up And everything is different today. But it is different. It is different. Over these last few weeks. God told us it would be this way though, didn't he? The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's the power of God to those of us who are being saved. Jesus told us if the world hated him. It would naturally hate his followers. All disciples, that would by extension include us as followers of Jesus. So what are we to do? Organize? Shout? No. Again, no. But you can bow your head to give thanks in a restaurant. Before you eat, you can share with others how Jesus has changed your life. You can openly sing praises of gratitude for being related to the Father. Verse 2. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. If you have a King James Version, the end of this verse 2 reads like this thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name that is indeed a literal translation of this verse but it's not the best translation Hebrew word is missing that is easily supplied to tie God's word with his name David is essentially thanking Yahweh for keeping his promises the promises that he made to his people in his word There's great encouragement and comfort for us that God keeps his promises. God's love toward his people and his mercy toward their weak and miserable condition are both on display here. There are two things that you need to remember. One, God will always keep his promises. Two, feels like the same thing. You can always trust God. But even though we acknowledge one to always be true, our response to God's faithfulness often wavers. It fluctuates based on our circumstances, based on how we're feeling about things. What a shame. Look at the promise in verse 3. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Maybe one of the advantages to our ever deepening national descent into the moral abyss and religious pluralism is the clarity that begins to take shape in one's mind. Instead of thinking of yourself as an American Christian, a term that has never really meant anything anyway, but we've wanted it to. I mean, look... Allison and I watched two independence celebrations last night. Unfortunately, not able to get to the one over here uh, Friday night, which I'm sure was far better than anything New York and D.C. had. But we were watching <coughs> both of those. All a lot of talk about God and just, you, you want to feel patriotic. I mean, it's Allison's first year as a citizen of the United States, you know. And so we're watching All of this independent stuff. And I'm just thinking occasionally I'm looking on Twitter and leader after leader after leader after leader acknowledges. Christian leader acknowledges we're in a different place. But look, another thing that you hear over and over is maybe this helps clarify things for us. Maybe now we recognize that American Christian You have to be very careful about that. We're Christians. We belong to a kingdom that is foreign to this world. Look, the gospel seeks out the poor. Because the poor have no hope in this life. The truly poor have very little hope in this life. Talk about land of opportunity all you want. Not many of you can get up here and say, I grew up in absolute poverty. And everything was against me, and everybody around me was taken. Dr- some of you can, but not many. Most of us grew up with some level of privilege, some level of understanding of how life works, and we got where we were because of God's mercy, period. But when they, when, when people are poor, the gospel is good news. And when large groups of people in any particular place believe the gospel, then they begin to live their lives according to biblical principles and prosperity usually follows. That happened for us here in the States. But what happens with prosperity? Pride. We begin to look around and say, look at all that my hands have accomplished. And the gospel moves on to seek out the poor. And so... The idea of God blessing this nation. He did bless this nation enormously. You know why? Because a lot of people believe the gospel and we we based a lot of what we were doing on biblical principles. It is no longer so when the White House is lit up like a rainbow. It just isn't. I'm sorry, I do not in any way strike out at your struggles if you struggle with affections that are in a particular way. Look, all of us struggle with affections that are wrong. That easily go in the wrong way if we allow ourselves to be. But when a nation calls evil good and good evil, it's in trouble. No matter how connected we say that we are to God, but it's much easier to know where we stand when we recognize. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And being American and being Christian is not synonymous. It never has been. Now we know it. We are, as David pointed out this morning, ambassadors of God's kingdom to a fallen world. So rather, and by the way, What I said and the way that I said it just now is intended for God's people gathered on Sunday morning. Please don't say it like that anywhere outside of here. Again, because of the arrogance that can easily be portrayed. I'm better than you because I'm different than you. That's... Pharisees all over the place I don't struggle with your particular sin so let me just jump on your sin and and ride that for a while that's very much a Pharisee rather though than being cross with your waiter because your food was not prepared to your expectation and we have a right in America to expect hot food This country is built on good business and good service. Respond as Jesus would with gratitude to a God who meets all of your needs. Rather than gesturing wildly when a driver cuts you off in traffic, you can display the gentleness of the savior if you're really walking closely with Jesus at his Rather than panicking when you lose your job or you're fine because of your stand for Christ, you can love your enemies and you can call on the one who has promised to strengthen you on the very day that you call on him. <coughs> right now, people may consider you a fool for worshiping the Lord. That's not going to always be true. Verses 4 and 5 All the kings of the earth shall give thanks. Give you thanks, O Lord, for they have all heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. A few months ago when I was talking about, we were talking about our union with Christ from Colossians 3. I teased a quote from uh, Richard Mellick who wrote the NHC commentary on the book of Colossians. And I promised that I would provide a fuller quote down the track. And now was an appropriate time. Here's what Melek says about how our lives are hidden with Christ in God and we are to seek things that are above, not things that are on the earth. Quote, the present time is a time of death. Often Christians suffer for their faith, but they continue with a life source unknown to those who do not know Christ. Someday, however, Christ will be revealed. When he is the source of Christians' lives, When he is, the source of Christian's life will will become apparent to all persons. The reason Christians have had the values, outlook, and service to God and others will be clear. The hidden life will be manifested. The values and goals of all Christians will also be vindicated. The glory of Christ will captivate the minds of unbelievers as well as believers. Unbelievers will know that Jesus is Lord, and they will know that they base their lives on the wrong principles. They will also see that Christians built their lives correctly; their lives and ambitions were energized by Christ through the Spirit, and they sought to contribute to the concerns of Christ on earth. Again, he's he's going off of Colossians three one to four where talks about our lives being hidden with Christ, and when Christ is revealed, we will be revealed with him. Until then, the Christian life remains hidden. Christians are misunderstood, belittled, and persecuted. Unbelievers attack both Christians and the Christ whom they love and worship. Someday, however, that will change. The King of glory will return and become the preeminent one in creation and redemption. As Paul wrote in Colossians one fifteen to twenty, Christians will share in that great day. For these reasons, Christians should seek higher things. Close quote. And amen. Seeking higher things or seeking the Lord, far from making us arrogant, should humble us. Verse six. For the Lord, though the Lord is high, he regards. The lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. We're going to hear these sentiments again in the New Testament over and over. James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That follows verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Then there's First Peter 5.6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. Philippians 2 talking about Jesus humbling himself and then God exalting himself or God exalting Jesus, the son above all creation. And then it's, it's something I've never really fully, it's one of those things you're just almost not comfortable with. What does it mean that God will exalt us? If we will humble ourselves, he will exalt us. I don't know. I don't know, but it's something good. We also know that when we exalt ourselves, which we can be prone to do in this life, he's looking the other way. And in fact, Scripture says that he resists the proud. He opposes the proud. Humility is a tricky thing, isn't it? I mean, the minute you think you've got it, you've lost it. Tim Keller says that the essence of gospel Humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Gosh, that's hard to do, isn't it? In Psalm 138, David acknowledges God to be the creator. Creator, but Yahweh is not simply creator. He is merciful, loving, faithful God. He is provider and protector. David was never really truly allowed to be arrogant. I mean, you sense his humility right from the get go. And right off the bat, David is being opposed by the government. People who want to kill him over and over, rising up in his life, (coughs) seeking to do him in. But David had a few moral failures of the flesh that also kept him from being proud. In fact, David recognized that anything good in his life came from God. We have so much that keeps us from recognizing our frailty before the Lord, including the ability to get loans, credit cards, medicine, and and the knowledge of how the, the finesse of how to justify our own sins, even while condemning other sins. But God is always moving us to a place of humility, It's never a bad thing when God puts you in a place where you are forced to be humble. Think about it. It's never a bad thing when God puts you in a place where you need to be humble. Now you can choose to be humiliated but then you're not humble, are you? When you come... To a place where humility is required, consider it a good thing. The Lord is near to the humble, to the broken hearted. Put your trust in the God who will always judge righteously. The end of the psalm is a good place to end our time in the Word as we prepare to gather at the Lord's table for communion. Verses 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Do not, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Until the day that Jesus reigns openly, you will walk in the midst of trouble. Even now, whatever your trouble is, he's walking with you. And by the way, if people are messing with you because of your relationship with Jesus, they're messing with him. It's not just you, it's him. They are Attacking, Though your circumstances may not play out the way that you desire, the Lord's promise to preserve your life will be fulfilled throughout all eternity. Do not live your life as though this is the only thing that matters. This is the only thing that counts. (coughs) Whenever I see a movie or a TV show about (coughs) someone who's dying and trying to have some purpose, I'm thinking, How is their purpose apart from Christ? Don't live your life as though this is all there is. Live as though eternity not only exists but counts how we live our lives right now. Recognize that Satan, the one who would destroy both your body and soul, has lost. He cannot. He has no authority to destroy your soul. The Lord has authority. To cast body and soul into hell. Fear him, Jesus said. But Satan has limited power over you. And know that the enemies of death and, and the grave have been defeated in Jesus' resurrection. And if you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you. Then you will live eternally with him. Because he keeps his promises. You can trust that. For the here and now, what is it in your life that you just cannot seem to get right? Or what is it that never seems to go right because of the genetic structure of your life is overriding the good choices you make about health or the propensities and insecurities and propensities toward particular sins that seem to have been passed down from your family? that you just can't get get a handle, would you allow God's promise to you in verse 8 to just settle into your soul? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. What New Testament verse does that remind you of? Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete it, will finish it, Your steadfast love, O Yahweh, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Romans 10 calls us to openly confess, at least before our brothers and sisters in God's family, that Jesus is Lord. So today, before we come to the table, want to take time to do this. Done this a few times through the years. My mom used to teach a Sunday school class. A few of you were in that class. And every once in a while, she would give people opportunity to say, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I remember the first time that I was there, and she asked people to do that. I was a preacher, I was a believer, camp director, you know, and it was a little bit difficult for me you know what? It's a good thing to say, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can stand and say, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Before the gods, David said, I will sing praise to you. Surely before our brothers and sisters, we can confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You can stand up one at a time and we can take the whole. Or you can all stand up at the same. Doesn't matter to me. And when you're finished, just sit right back down. And if you don't stand, it's no, look, if this is a little weird for you. That's okay. You don't have to stand and confess Jesus. Certainly, I wouldn't want you to do it if you do not confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some of you may have never done this in a public way. And this is your opportunity. To stand and say, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you and be seated. You know, when we gather at this table, we also confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. As the elders and deacons come forward to serve communion, I just want to encourage all of you. I want to invite all of you who confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior to join us as we come to the table today. You know, uh, here's one of the, the, the great mysteries about this time together that we share. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior when we come to this table. We identify with him but in a mysterious way, he identifies with us as well. And our souls are nourished as we come to this table to partake of the bread and the juice that point so clearly to the body and blood of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26 take this time very seriously and encourages us indeed to examine our hearts before we come. This table represents God's forgiveness in Jesus. All of us are sinners. All of us need his forgiveness. Even as believers, we need to be cleansed of the sins that have gathered uh, we have gathered on us and around us, our feet need to be washed, as Jesus said, not your whole body, but your feet need to be washed. We need to confess our sins, but when you do come and partake gladly of the uh, of the bread and the uh, of the juice that point us to the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ let 's pray and take just a moment for you uh, to confess your sins before the Lord and then I will close as we prepare for communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for leaving the glory of heaven and becoming one of us and being tempted in every way that we were yet without sin. Father, thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you for loving us so much that the heavens were silent even though the sun said, is there another way? Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Father, for forgiving our sins. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for binding us together and empowering this time through the word we believe that Jesus died for us. And we proclaim it to the world even as we look for His second coming. Amen. Mm -hmm. Paul's final greetings to the Corinthians. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And share the gospel this week. Amen.